This episode is brought to you by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps businesses in complex markets win the future. Pow! Good day, everybody. We hope you are happy, healthy, and here to learn. Because although this is only the third ever episode of Unicorny, well, I didn't think this early on we're going to have royalty joining us. But today, we have genuine marketing royalty in Fujitsu's Andrea Clatworthy. There is literally no one, in my opinion, who is better at explaining intricacies of account-based marketing. So if you are in an organization where you are making high-ticket sales, where you need to understand a very complex B2B sales environment, where you're thinking about ABM, or you just want to do it better, don't go away, because Andrea has some great things to say. Unicorns. They're supposed to be rare, but they seem to be everywhere. Now, like you, I suspect, I devour business and marketing books, but if you noticed, more and more of them use the same reference material and they retrofit the strategies and tactics they're espousing to unicorns. Well, you know what? I'm bored of reading about unicorns. So what if Amazon thinks back to front? Why is it relevant to me that Steve Jobs started with why? Google, Facebook, Netflix, those guys, you know, it's not where I live professionally, and it doesn't inform my future. So I thought, why don't I do something about it? Why not create a body of reference material that ordinary marketers like me can contribute to and learn from. And that is Unicorny. Welcome back to another episode of Unicorny. And have we got a special show for you today. Now, my co-host today is Renee Edwards from the multi, multi, multi award winning agency Digital Radish. Good day to you, Renee. How the devil are you? Morning, Dom. Good, thank you. Very well. Excellent. Well, we, we're we going to talk about ABM today. And now before we came on air, I was saying to Renee that I sometimes use Belgium to try and, <laughs> to try and explain ABM. And she said, please don't. Um, so I won't. But if anyone's interested, you can private message me on LinkedIn and I'll tell you about Belgium. Renee, do you want to maybe start? We're going to talk to Andrea Clatworthy today from uh, Fujitsu. And she is one of the leading characters globally in ABM. So I'm very excited to speak to her. But let, let's um, let's get a definition out of the way first, because not everyone listening is going to know what account-based marketing is. Well, mine is a lot more simplistic than your Belgium story. Um, basically, it's a, it's a marketing strategy that focuses on a specific set of accounts, buying units, sectors, or personas, essentially. Very simple. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was just folding my paper, getting ready to go for a deep read there, and you've already finished. So, okay, that's a good start. Um, tell me a little bit about Digital Radish. Yes. So, Digital Radish, we are a fully integrated B two B marketing agency with a real kind of focus around ABM and brand. So, specifically for high growth tech businesses. So, they you know particularly those that are going through big strategic changes. They might have recently IPO'd product launches, launching into new markets. Um, and I'm pleased to say some very exciting news that we've actually been obviously acquired, you know this, Dom, but acquired by Selvi Anderson, who we will very much use as a bit of a launch pad for our international expansion strategies. So without any further ado, let's get Andrea online. Hi, Andrea. 
Hello, how are you doing? Well, I'm really well. I'm, and I'm delighted uh, that we've got you here, Angie, because I know that you've got some real gold for us later on. Well, we're going to get we're going to let you and Andrea riff a little bit later. But first, um, Andrea, why don't you tell me just a little bit, if that's OK, about kind of Fujitsu and Fujitsu's approach to kind of ABM and marketing in general? Okay, Dom, thanks. And, and thanks for having me. And hi, Renee. So we've been doing ABM at Fujitsu in a, one, in a one-to-one uh, constructive methodology-focused way, if you like, since about 2014. And we did it before because we're all about big accounts. So we already had key account marketing, but we weren't consistent. So we kind of rolled out ABM using the ITSMA methodology back in 2014. So initially in the UK um, and one-to-one, definitely one-to-one. And then we've uh, slowly over the years grown our footprint, if you like, um, and have adopted one-to-one ABM in multiple geographies now. And we also do uh, what we call DBM, which is still one-to-one ABM, but it's DBM because it's deal-based marketing. So ABM is growing the account and DBM is focusing on a specific opportunity. Um, we've been really successful. The business loves it. They value it. Um, and we're in a really nice scenario where quite often demand from our sales colleagues outstrips what we can actually provide from a marketing perspective. Um, so it's, it's part of, uh, very much part of the strategy for marketing in most of our international regions. You, you might say, well, do you do one to few and one to many? Not so much yet. So that's for, that's future for us. That's how we're going to scale. Um, but we're very much enjoying the success we've had with the one-to-one approach. Great. And which part of the Fujitsu business is benefiting most from the work you've done? Mm, that's a great question. So it's our services business. Um, you might not know Fujitsu very well. Most people know us for product. Um, and in fact, we do do product. Um, you know, the largest supercomputer in the world is ours, for instance. And we do desktops and laptops and mainframes and all sorts of things. Um, but it's our services business that benefits mostly from uh, one-to-one ABM. And, and actually, there's a lot of sense in that. So most product is a reasonably transactional sale. And ABM works better when it's a complex selling and buying environment. So services falls into that. Um, category, if you like. So more than one decision maker in our customers who are large enterprises and uh, public sector organisations mostly. Uh, so large large decision making units, complex buying process. And that's where one-to-one can really help because we're doing that thing that ABM is all about by focusing on what we call the three R's, relationships, reputation and revenue. So get the relationships right with the right people, position ourselves correctly as a digital transformation partner or wherever we need to be for that particular customer and the revenue will follow. I think the three R's are a great way to help align different teams towards common goals and objectives. So not just focusing on those vanity metrics such as, you know, clicks and downloads, which we're all so fixated, seem to be so fixated on. And in fact, things like, you know, how engaged are your sales team? What feedback are you hearing about the program? Much more of that kind of qualitative data, which I think is sometimes forgotten. Andrea, just talking about sort of sales teams, it is no surprise that, you know, the biggest pitfall that we see at Digital Radish here is within account-based marketing programs, that alignment between sales and marketing. And when I think about the most successful sales and marketing relationships, it's when they have true respect and trust in one another. 
We're also seeing things like, which I think will help move the dial a little bit more around kind of that CRO uh, role, chief revenue officer. So straddling both sales and marketing team, which I think is certainly helping to align sort of focus and efforts in, in, in pulling in one specific direction. What would you say makes a successful relationship in Fujitsu? Uh, great question. And I think there's two sets of relationships that we're potentially talking about here. We've got the relationship between sales and marketing, so internal relationships. Um, and then the relationships that we're measuring with the three R's are between Fujitsu and the customer. Um, so take the first one first, so the internal one. You know, sales and marketing have got to work together for this to work. So if, 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 they're, if they're working separately, if they're working in silos, then ABM is not so successful. And, and you could probably argue that it's, it doesn't work at all. So getting that right is really important. So that means when you're thinking about selecting your accounts um, and uh, assigning an ABM app to work really closely with an account team to almost become part of the account team, then that chemistry piece with the people elements is really important. And then, and then you know, build the trust. You, know, you used a great word there. Um, uh, and I totally agree that you know, relationships, human being to human being, aren't necessarily just focused in the workplace, but you've got to start there probably, especially now when people are not necessarily co-locating in the same office, for instance. But, you know, we're all very familiar with working from home because we've been forced to. Um, But increasingly, that's a model that we're we're going to have to um, adopt to uh, and find ways to cope with. Yeah, 100%. So, so, getting, so, getting, yeah, so getting that bit right um, is really important, that internal, that, I call it the chemistry. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think certainly when we kind of first started ABM, there was kind of this big thing that, you know, you had to have kind of SLAs between you and the, the sales team, and that was the only way that it was going to make it work. I'm assuming you don't have those in place, Sandra. No, <laughs> no, 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 we don't. Um, but, but, we do, but we do make sure that the ABM um is part of the account team and he's a valued member of the account team. So we're bringing value. Um, and so although we don't have SLAs, we do have some things that we recommend ABMers don't do. So they're not the admin person for the account, for example. They're not the bag carrier. Um, it, it, it's a you know, it's a peer relationship. They're a great ABM, a great marketeer can absolutely operate as a peer with the other members of the account team. And we encourage people to do that. Yes, that chemistry piece is just so important. I think some of the best sales and marketing relationships go beyond um, work and have a proper partnership, a friendship almost. And and I think something we found really successful, less so maybe for strategic accounts, but more for that kind of one-to-few, one-to-many approach is the dedicated SDR who potentially would report into marketing, the middleman, if you like, who's kind of constantly looking for new contacts to enter the program, but meetings, dealing with follow-ups. It also means that this dedicated account can pick up on the slack when your sales teams might be focusing on that kind of end of month where we found sometimes where they kind of go a little bit AWOL, you've constantly got somebody just dedicated to kind of working those contacts and those leads um, all the way through. And I'd love to know what the setup is like at Fujitsu. Well, we think we're doing one-to-one. So mostly these accounts have got an account team on them, which includes sellers. So I'm using sales and account 
leaders in and uh, uh, slightly the same terms there. So it's a bit confusing. So apologies for that. So typically an account team will have an account manager or client exec or whatever you want to call them. So the leader and the person that ultimately owns the PL for that account. Um, and, and that account leader will have a team of people which will include sellers and uh, architects and subject matter experts and consultants and things. Um, and in our organization, um, those people report up into the, the leadership of that business area, be it public sector or private sector, or perhaps a country in a smaller country. Um, so uh, pretty senior, I would say, uh, if that answers your question. Yes, that does. Thank you. Um, I listened to a great presentation that you did, I think it was back last year at B2B's ABM conference around how to set up your ABM department. So particularly around um, setting up to be quick reacting for when new accounts kind of spike and you have to turn around kind of personalised content and messaging. Um, you also mentioned finding that right balance of making sure that you're reacting right to the to the right stuff, essentially. So I know when I was client side, you could really get easily kind of sucked into, we need to be doing this particular event and uh, we need to be doing this, this, this. I think for me, it was very much about kind of asking myself, is this really going to move the dial? Do we need to be doing this? And, and, and is this aligned to our objectives? Um, are there any tips here um, on when and, and how to kind of push back and, and say no? Totally recognise what you're saying there. Been there myself. So I think it starts with an expectation setting right at the outset. So once you've gone through an account selection process, you've got to be really clear with your account team that this is how it's going to work. And then you jointly work on a plan. So put to, thinking strategically, thinking, you know, what, where, do, where do we want to be with this account? What's the story we need to tell? How do we need to position ourselves and with who? Um, and then put a plan in place to do that, to deliver that. And you, you've all agreed to, to that plan. Um, and clearly stuff happens, so you, you might need to deviate from your plan. But also if you've got a plan that you've all agreed to and, and then you get a request from yourself, oh, we need to be here, oh, I need this, oh, I need that or whatever, then you can have that grown-up conversation and say, well, where does that fit in this plan? What should, what should, where, what do we turn off so that we can accommodate what you've just requested? Um, and where is that activity um, going to move the dial on one of the R's? And if you've done that from the outset, then it makes it a really, you know, grown-up conversation, really. Angie, we mentioned the three R's a short while ago: reputation, relationship, and revenue. Um, now. Am I right in thinking you might be a Guinness record holder? Yes, I am. Come on then, tell us the story. It's a few years ago now, so uh, 2017, in fact. Wait, time flies, right? So uh, so one of the things that I put in place um, in, in 2014 when, when we rolled out this ABM approach is to put um is to you know recognizing that not not all customers are equal obviously um but also recognizing that we as a company ran some big things big events if you like so we had a big event twice a year once in tokyo and once in munich which we call fujitsu forum so conference and exhibition two-day thing uh lots of stuff for customers to see do here etc um and for our vip so my abm accounts um, I ran on day zero, so the evening before the full event, a dinner. So nice senior networking, white glove treatment, all that stuff, really lovely. Um, and it was working really well, well established. And in particular year, 2017, the topic, the theme of the event 
and Fujitsu Forum was digital co-creation. Now, in the past, previous dinners, I'd had you know an inspirational after dinner speaker and that sort of thing. You know, we're, we're used to this format, aren't we? And I was thinking, how do I get the idea of digital transformation across? to our audience, very senior people go to loads of dinners, you know, you know, how many do they remember? You know, it was one of my starting points. So, so two things, make it memorable um, and an and evidence in some way, this digital co-creation concept. So I worked with a very small agency called Pepper Lee, great agency. Um, and we came up with this idea to, at the dinner, not just have an after-dinner speaker, in fact, not have an after-dinner speaker, but to attempt a Guinness World Record. And uh, so it's six months planning on this, right? So but part of how I wanted it to run was that our customers, who yeah, our VIPs that we were inviting, didn't know they were going to do that. They just thought they were coming to a lovely dinner, really lovely venue. It's the BMW Museum in Munich. Awesome venue if you ever, just as a museum, but also as a venue for an event. Um, so, so we found this great place. They were very happy to come. We were slightly oversubscribed, which gave me a little bit of a heart flutter because, oh my God, how am I going to run this Guinness World Record with more people? Anyway, sorted that out. So they all came to this dinner. We had the Guinness World Record people there who ran the thing for us um, and they were brilliant and um, we created uh, a brand new guinness world record and it's the largest tablet computer mosaic and in order for us to do that we had to have 220 tablets our technology as it happened so think ipad but with a fujitsu logo on um, and they needed to be in a grid a mosaic and they had to have uh, a joined up image running across all of, all of those pieces of the picture um, to run for at least 90 seconds. And, and we just did a beautiful image and with really loud music and all sorts of things. Now, what was brilliant is that every single customer put at least one of those tiles into the mosaic with a big grid on the wall. Um, and of course, you know, and then they all turned on, of course, a couple didn't turn on. So we built up the tension and the tech guys sweating in the background. So it's all, you know, there's no wires, right? It's all internet of things, if you like. Um, and then, you know, they came into life and then we did a countdown and pressed the button and the big picture went and all this noise. And it was brilliant. Everyone, just everyone was into it. You know, the, the tension in the room and then the relief when it worked um, and the euphoria, if you like, was fantastic. Everyone's tweeting people taking pictures and of course at the end of that evening everyone there went home with a certificate that they had just taken part and achieved a brand new guinness world record and they've got that forever so thinking of the three r's so relationships once you've done something like that with a set of people they're unlikely to forget it in a hurry okay so so we've created that bond almost an emotional tie if you like but in a positive way reputation well we pulled it off okay it's our technology our systems around the back of it our clever people making all this stuff work and we digitally co-created so we created together this thing um and the revenue are um the all important one if you're a seller um it was over a billion euros of influence pipe in that room so really really good i oh, know it was fabulous that's a that's a great story so um how did you choose who was going to be in the room coming back to the first r I mean, which, which relationships in particular did you target 
Yeah, so uh, we work with the with the account teams on this uh, individually each time, um, and we only really wanted one person from each of those customers there. Sometimes we had two because actually, if if there were uh, if a customer was sending a small party to forum, then just selecting one out of that group could have been awkward. In some cases, it wasn't because it was the chief exec, for example. So it's a no brainer to take the most senior person um in that in that customer but where perhaps where where we've gone down a level into to direct reports and we just had to work that through so a couple in a couple of instances we had more than one person from a customer but very much working with the account team and of course um we did exec engagement as part of that so our executives were there too so they were hosting the thing so we had to, we were thinking through as well what what are the exec engagement plans that we're putting in place for these customers you know us to them um, and where could this play a role um so uh, so individually it's it's how we went about it really I think what's interesting here, um, Renee, you, you may have some experience you want to chime in as well is that the the comments you're making about relationships are coming from human beings mm-hmm. and their knowledge of relationships, not necessarily data, because there's been this big movement about account selection and intent data and other kind of data tools. Do, do you use those or do you re- rely very much on humans? And, and Renee, I'd love to hear your experience in this area too. We do, we do use it, but most, but more in the one to few space, one to many. Um, but for these big accounts where we're looking at you know, multi-year relationships, we're looking to, well, we're looking to upsell and cross-sell, but, you know, well, that's not what we would say to a customer. Obviously, we, you know, we're looking at ways in which we can help them and encourage them to buy the help from us rather than a competitor. So, so those relationships are between the account team members, our executives, and our people that deliver for those customers. So there's multi-layer engagement throughout the teams that from Fujitsu that work with the customer and, of course, on the customer side too. Yes, agreed. Um, I think particularly when doing strategic accounts, um, there's a reliance upon sort of sales insights absolutely imperative. I think there's too often much reliance on things like intent data as um, for me, it's a bit more of a nice to have rather than the holy grail in your account selection. And and as you say, Andrea, I think great for a one to few and one to many strategy. Yeah, I think it's great if you're looking at, you know, looking to select a target group, for example. Okay. Um, This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com. So so coming back to the theme of... of the podcast and the people who are listening um, who who probably aren't doing ABM already because ABM's kind of been the preserve of big organizations because it's big, right? ABM's big. Uh, so, you, you know, so you, you may think. But I know also, Andrea, because I've seen you talk also at events where you talk about that ABM doesn't always have to be massive budget. Can, can you talk to that yeah. a little bit? Because I think the people listening mm-hmm. probably won't have massive budgets. How can they get involved in this kind of one-to-one or one-to-few activity that you, that you guys use? So there's a, there's a few things you can do that don't cost anything. 
So especially with existing customers, much easier to do this with existing customers. So for instance, you could take a customer down the advocacy route. So a really clever thing to do is to perhaps uh, write a case study of what you've done with a customer previously. Um, and then, of course, you've got to engage with your customer in a non-selling way so that they approve it. Um, and then, of course, you can publish it and you can shatter it and do all sorts of things and get them involved in the conversation, if you like, if it's on social media or whatever, um, or find routes where you can use that that, that joint story um, on a speaker platform or elsewhere. Those things don't cost anything. So it's just time and effort. Um, and that's really powerful. So, so it's a really quick thing to write a case study, get it in front of them, get it approved. And you've reminded them of the awesome stuff you've done as well. Um, and maybe they come up with a uh, benefit from, or fr- from that work that you hadn't appreciated either. So that's a really, really easy thing to do. Um, and especially if, if that customer um, is really particularly proud of what they've done or it, perhaps it's advanced somebody's career or it's made them a hero, uh, or even better if somebody's got just got a little bit of ego that you're able to capitalise upon and push forward on that. So that, that's my favourite, absolutely free one to do. And it's interesting because actually one of the, um, underneath the relationship, one of the kind of KPIs that we often track is, you know, how many case studies, how many speaking slots, you know, do you do with a client? Um, really, what, what's the budget range that you see people applying typically to campaigns at the moment? I know it's a big question. Oh, that is a big question. Uh, we have quite a lot of people sort of coming to us wanting pilot programs sort of to bag, typically net new accounts. And what I would say in those pilots, they shouldn't just be four month programs. They shouldn't just be seven touch points and the program is finished. I find there's actually quite a big sort of frustration. It's such a waste of sort of time, energy and resource to think that a deal will come off within seven weeks. ABM isn't the silver bullet, particularly when you've got sales cycles, obviously between 12 and 18 months. Yes, potentially it could accelerate it, but not within, you know, seven touch points. So going back to your question around kind of price you know, from an agency, it really depends on, I guess, what the strategy is. So one to many or one to few, one to one, they can all vary in terms of, uh, you know, how much resources the client got internally that we can leverage, for example, how much content is there that we can repurpose and reuse. Um, And of course, you know, this is also down to, you know, what's the size of the prize? But as Andrea says, you can be more clever around budget with existing accounts, you know, inviting them to innovation days, to your office, collaborating on content, speaking slots. Sorry, Dom, I've not answered your question on price at all, have I? (laughs) No, No, as it happens, you haven't. But you did make a very good point in there, I think, though, which is that, you know, things are a lot harder if you're looking at net new. You know, new revenue from new clients is a lot harder. And I think that is where bigger budgets go, isn't it, Andrea? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree on that. You can spend a lot of money, can't you? Um, if, you're, if you're really clear and really targeted, then you can reduce your spend um, because you're not going to waste any. And also, if you're thinking, if you are starting down an ABM, it may be a one-to-one route, then um, perhaps for your second account, pick an account in the same sector, perhaps, because then you can reuse some of the uh, effort and assets that you put in place for that first one. Yeah, I really, really struggle when people are kind of, they're setting out to do ABM and uh, they, you know, they'll give us kind of 10 accounts to go out and they're net new. Um, You know, quite often I'll just push back on that and quite often I will always kind of, say to them unless we're doing one-to-one existing customers then 
you know, you're just sort of starting out, then I would say, you know, you need to be doing more of a kind of one-to-many approach in order to yeah. kind of whittle down into a one-to-one. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, elevate those. So if you go, if you go in one-to-many, then one-to-few, then one-to-one, then you can find an account that, you know, intent has driven you there in the first place, and then you're getting the great engagement. And then perhaps you want to take it out of your one-to-many program to one-to-few, or even then up to one-to-one, because you can see the value in making that investment in them, because you can see that there's there's some revenue are at the end of that journey. So I've, I've, if I had any hair left, um, it, it would be very grey and wizened. But I seem to remember back in the day, power base selling you know these important concepts of understanding the power base and 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 mapping organizations and jeffrey moore's bowling alley and it seems we're skirting around those sorts of issues now which is if you've got a customer in one specific sector make your next customer in that sector because you've got loads of case material and i think a lot of small companies a lot of smaller companies are nervous about focus because they think they'll be leaving a lot of business on the table, but actually I find opposite is true most of the time. Let's change it up a bit. We've talked about the present. We've talked about how you guys do things. Let's, let's look through our crystal ball into the future uh, because ABM uh, is still in early adopter mode as far as I can see that, you know, they're, a lot of marketers don't understand it. And already we've got ABX, which is like the mutant child of ABM. What, what, is, AB, what is ABX? Is it real? And is it a thing even? I don't know. It's a great question. Well, there's ABE as well, of course. Which ABE? What's same, ABE? Same as ABX, but with an E instead of an X. Oh, oh with an E yeah, instead of an X. Yeah. But so I, yeah, is, is, I don't know. But I think you know, ABM is going to be business as usual. Um, and you could you could argue, especially in a one-to-many environment, it's just using the tools and the great Martech that exists now to enable awesome targeting, hyper personalization at scale. Um, and that's just great demand gen, right? That's demand gen using what we have as marketeers in our kit bag. So, so I just think that, yeah, that's going to be business as usual. And do you, do you think the cookie-less future is going to play towards ABM? Because you can't just spam people in the, well, assuming Google ever does get around to banning cookies. You can't, you can't just spam people. You're going to have to act off intelligence. It could be a little bit of back to the future. Do your marketing strategy properly, target, segment, all those things. Yeah, I still think there's a big, uh, you know, there's a big emphasis off, you know, kind of offline. And and I think we'll see that more once we kind of fully come out of this pandemic mess and and obviously hybrid working. I think, you know, some of the things that we did was often was kind of monitor accounts and, um, you know, okay, look, there are this particular account is speaking at an event and a conference, um, you know, tomorrow we've not been able to reach him digitally. Get yourself down there. He's at stand 24. We've done this personalized report. He's not read it, but kind of get yourself down there. And it's that, I guess that little bit more of that kind of manual approach. And I think we've gone so far down the kind of automated route. I think actually, you know, we've got to kind of come back to um, being able to kind of do things offline as well. And with that, obviously, you know, comes a little bit more of a manual effort. Well, one of the R's is relationships, right? And it's easy to have a relationship between humans. I mean, computer to computer isn't much of a relationship. It's a data exchange. It's different. It's a different thing entirely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, sorry, thinking also now um, the future very quickly. For those people listening, what uh, you know, you've you've been in ABM 
as long as it's sort of formally existed as a thing and probably been doing it for donkey's years before that. If there were, I mean, so the three R's is one thing. If there were other things that you were going to point people towards, lessons that you could draw that would help them make their marketing more effective, what might those be? So right at the top of my list is um, collaborating with sales. And I think that you know, sales and marketing should work together. Um, and so if, if you're starting this journey, even if it's not ABM, you know, then work with sales. We're, we're buddies. It shouldn't be siloed. And I think that that applies whatever type of marketing that you're, do, you're doing. It, it should be absolutely collaborative and that can be difficult especially if sales and marketing perhaps don't report into the same person um so you've just got to find a way to do it um and and i've heard some wonderful inspirational sales leaders that have had an epiphany when they started to work with their marketing colleagues so 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 we know we know, we know that our, our sales leaders want this stuff and appreciate it but they don't necessarily always immediately think i need some marketing support on this now maybe that's because over the years marketing has become less relevant to an organization um, I really hate vanity metrics because we're measuring clicks and stuff. A sales guy doesn't care. A sales person doesn't care about these things. So, so we as a profession, I think, have slipped down this slippery road um, and stopped doing things that they value. So we need to stop doing that. Uh, we need to get back on that right bus with them. Uh, we need to work collaboratively um, and, and have some joint goals and working it together and and then you know if we do that and especially for in an abm world it's just essential to do that when you have a sales leader or a sales guy and account manager who is internally promoting what they've done look at the abm that i've done that's brilliant because right? that is sales and marketing properly working together so so that my number one thing then regardless of the type of marketing is work with sales so you heard it here first um if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't spoken to the sales team in the last few days press pause go speak to them come back start listening again right thank you Andrea. you know thank you so much for spending time with us i know how busy you are and I do greatly, greatly appreciate you coming to join the Unicorny Project. Now, Renee, we started out talking about the three R's. Is that kind of a fundamental building block of ABM? I think so, yes. I think traditionally we were very much focused on, as I mentioned before, those really minute KPIs around, you know, open rates and click-through rates. And I think what the, the three R's do is kind of elevate that. They're much more around, yes, you've still got those kind of softer metrics. You've got the harder metrics. You've, you've also got the qualitative and the quantitative um, metrics, as well as a few more of those sort of commercial aspects as well, that kind of wider um, remit, if you like. Um, so I think, yeah, a fantastic place to start with the three R's. And working out what they mean for you, most importantly, because what they'll be mean for one business is not necessarily right for another business. Well, funny you should mention that, Renee, because there's kind of an overlap here. One thing being right for one business, but not right for another. It seems a core part of the ABM message that everybody can learn from is this thing of personalization. Make sure you know your audience and personalize or tailor the message that you're giving to that very specific audience. Are there any tips that you can give our listeners 
on how they may be able to gain a better understanding of their audience in order to personalise the message for them? So I think it depends on what uh, strategy you're adopting. Obviously, for Andrea, for example, she is very much focusing on a strategic one-to-one existing account. So for her, majority of that kind of insight is primarily coming from her sales teams. Um, obviously, when you're looking at a more of a one-to-few or a one-to-many, you may not have that level of insight from be able to gain from your sales teams. You're basically relying what's on the web, you know, what's out there. Um, and and so you're having to kind of use that using in, intent tools and things like that in order to be able to kind of um, to, to personalize, but obviously not too much personalization as well, because, you know, for a one to few and a one to many, you, you know, a lot of the time you you don't specifically know whether they are in market. So it's getting that right level of personalization. Um, so you're not, you haven't got wastage, for example. So quite, there's a lot of talk around, you know, how to scale programs right now. And, you know, there are some great tools out there. Um, the likes of Turtle, for example, which is a content personalization tool. You've got Vidyard from a um, video standpoint as well. Um, you've got Reach Desk out there as well, which is personalized virtual DM. Um, so bringing back a little bit more of those kind of automated tools to be able to um, just kind of scale your program. Do you know, um, I think we're kind of almost out of time, but I, I'm going to end on this point because this is a really, it's also super topical because every single guest that comes through these doors was the subject of a very highly personalized approach. So the tools you just talked about now, Vidyard um, and a Turtle and can't remember the other one, but I'm sure it's great. Um, we could buy the tape back at some stage and listen. I'm never going to get around to editing that back in. Sorry, listener. But those sorts of tools are really accessible and anyone can make use of them pretty much immediately, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think, again, when people are starting out with pilot programs, I think they're a little bit hesitant to start you know, investing in technology. Um, but what I would say is that it does have a place, particularly when you are scaling and you are starting out and trying to get that sort of ABM engine, if you like, working together. And and, and again, my point, if you are starting out again, I think, um, you know, keep it very focused. I think if there's not enough uh, insight uh, within that sales department to do a one-to-one, do not start there. Start with a one-to-many approach. Start working that um, engine, keep it going, and then start waiting for that kind of intent and that insight to flow through your business in order to then bring them down into a one-to-one. Well, there you go. Uh, Renee, today we had uh, one of the uh, the royal family of ABM on, and it was a really good chat. Thank you very much for being uh, my co-host on today's show. And uh, I think we need to do something more on ABM. Yes, absolutely. I think so. I think, you know, this session was actually ended up being very focused around kind of one-to-one and a bit more around that kind of strategic uh, ABM approach. But actually there's, there's a lot to kind of thrash out. I think, you know, talking about ABM more holistically and that kind of more around that ABM engine. Okay. And I think what might also be a good thing to look at because you guys won so many awards at the BT Marketing Awards last year, maybe we can unpack one of the campaigns that you did and talk about the lessons that people might be able to draw out of those. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we'll be absolutely happy to do that. Okay, guys, if you want to hear about that, please message me on LinkedIn. My name's Dom Hawes. And I think for today, Renee, thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks so much, Dom. Bye. 
Now, good unicorny listeners, we're going to bring you value today. If you're involved in anything to do with either search marketing or you want to find out more about Web 3.0, there's an event going on in London. It's a three-day event from the 11th to 13th of July with some really, really expert speakers. It's a kind of technical marketing conference called Ungagged. You can find out more at ungagged.com. If you want to go, as a unicorny listener, we're going to give you 25% off a pass there. All you need to do is write unicorny22. That's all lowercase, unicorny22, as your code in the checkout, and you will get 25% off. Boom! Thank you for listening. That is the end of today's show. If you would like to subscribe to us, please do go to your favorite podcast outlet and you will find us there. If you want to be on the show, my name is Dom Hawes. Look me up on LinkedIn, connect, and I would love to talk to you. This show is put together by Selby Anderson. We find and unlock hidden value. And the show is recorded at Turnmill Studios, which you can find at turnmillstudios.co.uk. See you next time. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.